Well, good morning. Good morning. It's so good to be with y'all today. Like Mike said in that video, my name is Laurian Hook, and I am honored to be uh, with your congregation this morning. I told the first service, I have a really long history with this church that has kind of always been in many ways kind of in the shadows, like behind the scenes. Uh, I've known Chris and Janelle since before they have, have had kids. Um, I was there when Liberty started walking. I actually graduated in the same class with Lindsay, Mike's wife. Mike and I have known each other since high school. I've just been all over the place with, with people from this church, and I just really love being with y'all, and it's, it's an honor to be able to preach for you this morning. So we're going to continue in y'all's series on the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is one of my favorite books, especially this first chapter. It's usually one of the chapters that I recommend people read when they want to know more about Jesus, which is usually a good starting point if you're a, a new Christian, but it's also a good reminder if you've been in the game for like, you know, 40, 50 years, it's a good kind of grounding place. Colossians 1 tells us a lot about Jesus, and in the passage that we're going to talk about today specifically, it talks about some of the implications for our lives and what that means. So because Jesus is all of these things, what does that mean for us? And that's generally a good question to ask. So let me pray for us, and then I'll read the scripture, and we'll get started this morning. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you and we are excited to study the scriptures together this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come now and just kind of rest heavily on us, stir in us things so that we can learn and we can grow, and so that at the end of this and at the end of our experience here together this morning, we can then go out into the world and be more and more transformed into your image, Jesus, because that's kind of the goal of this whole enterprise is for us to be slowly more and more transformed into the image of you so that we can bring your kingdom to bear in this world. So God, that's what we ask for this morning. Holy Spirit, would you guide our time together? In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Let me read our text for today. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 29. So I'm going to read it, just kind of take it in. If you have it in front of you, that's great. If you're at home, welcome. Grab a Bible if you'd like to. We're so glad that you're also with us today. Let me read. It says this, once you, that's, that's us, it's you and I, we were alienated from God and we were enemies in our minds because of evil behavior. But now he, that's God the Father, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the, hold held out in the, from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, Paul's the person writing this, have become a servant. Now rejo I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ has powerfully given me. There's a lot in there. And we're going to talk about it this morning, okay? We're going to go kind of verse by verse. I'm going to break it down. Because like I said at the beginning, there's some really strong uh, comments and strong claims that Paul has made so far in Colossians. 
And today we're going to kind of start beginning to see some of the implications of that in our actual daily lives. So the rubber's about to meet the road here. So let's take a look at this. Verse 21, the first verse I read, it says this. It says, once you were alienated from God. If you pause right there, a lot of us would probably think, if, if I asked you, if we were to sit down and have coffee and I were to say, hey, what has alienated you from God? What alienates non-believers? What alienates people who don't proclaim Jesus as Lord from God? Your first reaction more than likely would not be their minds. You would probably maybe zero in on how they act. You know, the claims that they make other things like that. We we don't normally start with the mind, but Paul says, hey, it's actually the mind that is hostile to the things of God. It's the mind that then produces the actions. So Paul says this, he says, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So Paul's claim here is that the mind that is hostile to the things of God, the mind that is not set on the things of God and of Christ and the kingdom will produce actions that are very anti-God. That's Paul's claim. So there's kind of this logical explanation that's happening. Paul says, hey, if, you're, if your thought process isn't right, if you're not inputting and, and outputting information appropriately through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of enemy love, through the lens of kingdom justice, those types of things, then you will present and you will act out in this world in ways that are hostile to God. So our minds have to be renewed. Our minds have to be made whole in order for our lives to demonstrate accurately the gospel. Paul talks about this again in Romans chapter one. Let's take a look at it. If you have your Bible, if you can flip over. If not, you can just listen. Romans chapter one, starting in verse 21, says this. It says, for although they knew God. He's talking about non-believers. He's talking about people who do not proclaim Jesus as Lord. They kind of know about God. They've seen kind of evidence here and there through creation and through the lives of Christians. They know about God. But they do not glorify him as God, nor give thanks to him. But their thinking, their minds, became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. So if our thinking is not reoriented through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the reading of the scriptures, through things like worship and communion and kind of this daily Christian life getting lived out, if our mind is not continually renewed and reoriented, our actions and our lives will begin to look like people who don't really proclaim Jesus as Lord. We can say a lot of things with our mouths, but if our mind and our hearts are not reoriented, then we're kind of just floating aimlessly about. So Paul says, hey, you used to be this way. You and I, those of us who now know Jesus, we used to be this way. Our hearts and our minds were futile. Our hearts and our our desires were against the kingdom of God. And then Paul says this, he says, but now... Conjunctions are really, really great in the Bible usually. Like you kind of wait for them. You hear this verse that says, hey, you are enemies of God. And then you're just left on this cliffhanger and you're like, I, I really hope there's a follow-up to that. And there is, praise God. It says, verse 22 says, but now, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So through Christ's death, through Christ's bodily death and resurrection, the incarnation matters. The fact that God put on flesh and became human and lived among us matters. Theologians have a lot of fancy words for what that means, but it means that God knows what it is to be human. God has been among us. God has suffered as one of us. God has healed us. And so now we don't have to remain in this futile way of thinking. We don't have to remain hostile to God. 
Our minds and our hearts can be transformed because our thoughts will produce our actions. So if our thoughts and our minds are not right and they're not set on the things of God, then our actions are not going to line up. A good litmus test for this, if we're kind of wondering, well, are my thoughts and my actions, like, are we, are we in sync here? Am I, am I lining up with the ways of Jesus? A really good way to test this is to use the Bible in many ways. And so you read things like, you know, is, is my life looking and kind of smelling a lot like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? All of those together, you don't just get to pick the ones that you like. This is not H-E-B produce aisle. Like, you have to like all of them together. Is my life looking like that? Is my life looking like the love chapter that we love to read at weddings and stuff, but actually is a whole lot more applicable to just our daily lives as Christians? 1 Corinthians 13. Am I patient? Am I kind? Do I hold animosity in my heart towards others? Those are really good places to start as litmus tests to determine, hey, where is my mind dwelling and what, are, what is that then producing in my actions? If you're noticing, if I'm noticing that my actions are not lining up with those things, something is wrong here. Something is wrong in how I'm thinking because my mind is not set on the things of God. So those are really good places to kind of camp out and kind of just swim in and see, does this, does this feel like home to me? If the fruit of the Spirit in, in 1 Corinthians 13 is just a really good place to start, if those two don't feel like home to you, then we have some work to do. And we're always going to be working on those things, right? We're always going to be growing into those things. But if they really, really begin to rub us the wrong way because they, they begin to call out in us things that we don't really want to do, then we need to ask the Spirit to help us. We need to begin to try through the Spirit's help to set our minds more and more and more on the things of Christ. Paul continues his argument and he says this with this conditional statement. We don't really like conditional statements. They make us a little frustrated sometimes. We're like, but God, you're supposed to just do all of this for me. And if you even look back to the Old Testament, God's like, you got to have some skin in the game when he makes a covenant with Abraham and then when he ratifies and kind of redoes that covenant with Moses and Israel and the people of God, he says, hey, you will do this and I'm gonna do this. And God kind of takes care of all of our missteps in that, but there's still some conditions in there for us to remain in relationship with God correctly. And this is the condition that Paul gives in verse 23. He says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Paul's saying, hey, God is going to take care of all of this stuff. Remember, you were hostile in mind. Your actions did not line up with, with the ways of Jesus. Jesus took care of all of that through his body on the cross and through his resurrection. And now you just have to hold fast to it. That's all you have to do. You didn't have to save yourself. You didn't have to kind of rectify all of your misdeeds and all of your sin patterns and all the ways that you were hostile to God, you didn't have to do that on your own. It's literally handed to you, dangling out there, and you just have to hold fast to it. And those of you in this room who have been in the game for a while, you're like, that's really nice, but it's really hard. It's really hard to hold on to something that sometimes we can't see. It's really hard to hold on to something when the stock market crashes or our 401ks aren't doing so well or there's a global pandemic or there's a random unexpected diagnosis or you get a really bad phone call. Clinging to the gospel in those moments 
Clinging to the only thing that's actually sure and solid ground is hard. But Paul says you must continue in this. Endurance, endurance, endurance. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. We are called to be different types of people. Why? Because we've had our minds renewed. We've had our hearts kind of reoriented towards the gospel. And so Paul says, the only thing you have to do is actually just hold on tight to it. And the beauty of what God does for us is that while we're holding on tight to the gospel, God's also got a pretty good grasp on you too. (laughs) God's children do not just fall by the wayside. God's got them. But we have to also hold on because that also continues to produce in us more transformation. It makes us look more and more like Jesus. Paul continues his argument. He says, hey, you got to hold on to it. This is the condition. Hold fast to the good news of the gospel. Hold fast to the good news that Jesus Christ became human and did something that no one else was capable of doing. And then he says this really crazy thing. He begins to kind of turn and do this kind of autobiographical section where he's like, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, a little bit about why I'm here and what I'm doing. And he says this crazy thing. In verse 24 of this chapter, has given theologians a run for their money for a long time. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. He's talking about the church. And then he says this, And I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So a lot of us would read that and we're like, is Paul Paul saying that something, that the the work of Christ wasn't quite complete and so now the church is called to like kind of add stuff on top to make sure it like, Hits that goal. No, 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 no. That's not what Paul's saying. The work of Christ was completely effective. Jesus is what he accomplished in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and what we will ultimately accomplish when he comes back is sure. It's taken care of. It's done. It doesn't need your help. It doesn't need my help. What Paul is saying here is, is something different. He's saying, hey, there is this idea of corporate Christology happening. That's a fancy way of saying what is true of Jesus should also be true of Jesus's people. What is true of the one that we proclaim as Lord and that we love and that we say we follow should also be true of us. Again, this idea of us becoming more and more formed into the image of Jesus. The church, you and I as Christians, we should slowly but surely be being more and more incorporated into the life of Christ. And that life of Christ is not all that fun. If we're really honest with ourselves, read the gospels. This is why Paul talks about suffering a lot. This is why endurance and clinging to that gospel is so important because suffering will come. Every single one of you in this room knows that. Every single one of you watching at home knows that. Suffering will come. For most of us here, it's not going to come in the form of persecution because of where we live and our socioeconomic status and the safeties that we have. For most of us, it's not going to be that. We're not going to be drug off to jail because of our beliefs. But for most of us, the suffering is going to come again in something like an unexpected phone call or an unexpected diagnosis or a broken relationship or a failure that we weren't anticipating happening. And the question that Paul kind of, kind of sets up underneath all this for us is, so how will you walk through that? Because if we are joining in this Christian life, if we are joining our lives to the life of Christ, The good way to answer that question of what will you look like through that suffering is, well, what did Jesus look like? Jesus endured. Jesus was patient. 
Jesus did not open his mouth in complaint. (laughs) He endured faithfully what was set before him and clung to the reality that he knew that God would vindicate him, that God would restore and heal all things. So he walked right through it. For the joy set before him is what the scriptures tell us. So you, so you and I as well are able to endure, are able to walk through trials and frustrations and failures and temptations and hardship and all of those things that life will throw at us. Don't listen to people and preachers who tell you that it's all going to be great. Don't listen to those people. Trials will come. So the question is, when we walk through them, will we look like Jesus? Or will we stop clinging fast to the gospel? That's really what Paul is setting before us. He's saying, hey, you got to cling fast, but trials are going to come. Bob Dylan probably wrote a song about that. Trouble's going to come. Lots of people have written songs about that because they know it to be true. You and I know this to be true. If you flip over to 2 Corinthians, Paul continues the same idea, and he unpacks it a little bit more. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 says this. It says, but we, that's you and I, that's the church, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed. Don't you, aren't you so glad that you're allowed to be perplexed? You're allowed to have questions. You're allowed to wonder. You're allowed to kind of rage against the machine of life in this world and just ask all the big questions. You're allowed to be perplexed. We're perplexed, but we don't despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And then verse 10 is is where he really brings this idea home. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. That's not very fun to think about. (laughs) But we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. This is going to sound really kind of cheesy, but it's true. You, You do not get Easter without Good Friday. We as Christians don't just get to carry around like this really happy, hope-filled all the time, sunshine and rainbows system. We also are people of Good Friday. And even before that, we're people of Monday Thursday where Jesus issued a new commandment to his disciples and said, love each other. We are people of the entire weekend of Easter. We don't just get to pick Resurrection Sunday and say, that's, that's where I'm gonna live, that's what I'm gonna cling to. That's only half of the good news. You don't get Easter unless you go through Good Friday. So this is why Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says, hey, we bear in our bodies Christ's death and suffering, but we also bear his life. And ultimately the death and suffering will fall away. But are we going to cling fast in the midst of that? That's the question that's before us. Paul continues his argument and he continues kind of his laying out of everything. If you read verse 26 and 27, verse 26 says this, he's talking about this mystery. And again, it kind of lets us take a deep breath and realize, hey, there are things about God. There are things about the kingdom. There are things about what God is doing even now that we just don't quite get. So you can take a deep breath. I can take a deep breath. If you have questions about God, if you have questions about the things of God, about what God is doing, about how you fit in all of that, it's okay. See, we can all just, the mystery of what God has been doing, Paul says, is now the veil is kind of being peeled back a little bit and it's slowly being revealed to us. 
The ultimate mystery being that God himself is the one who came down to save us. All throughout the Old Testament, all the prophecies about the Messiah and the Son of Man and all those things, they were not expecting the Messiah to actually be God. They're expecting the Messiah to be a great man of God, a great prophet, much like Elijah, much like Moses. They were not expecting God himself to be the one who was coming down to save them. So that's the great mystery that's kind of being pulled back. And even as we are, you know, thousands of years removed from it, we're still not able to kind of get our arms fully around what all that means. And that's okay. Leave some room for mystery when it comes to your understanding and your experience of God. Because if you have all the answers, and if you can explain every aspect of God, then you have a very small God. If I can explain to you every single facet of the God that I believe in, in detail and with like long papers and all that stuff, then that God's pretty boring because my mind is finite. My mind is not able to comprehend all the riches of the glory and the mystery of God. But Paul says, hey, it's beginning to be revealed. The veil is being pulled back. You are beginning to be able to see into what God is doing. And here's the the reality, friends. Much like when our minds have been renewed, when you begin to see something, that changes you like that, you cannot look away. You are called to live differently now. Once we've experienced the grace of God, once we've experienced the beauty of the gospel and the truth of it, it calls us to responsibility. It calls us into things like enemy love, injustice, and care of others, and advancing the kingdom. We cannot just kind of be like, that's nice, and then go on our merry way. That's not an option. You either respond correctly or you respond incorrectly, but either way you're responding. And as Christians, we're called to, of course, respond appropriately. And Paul talks about this. If you look at verse 27, he continues this idea of this mystery that slowly is being revealed. He says to them, that's, that's to the Lord's people, that's now us, as people who know Jesus. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that's the people who were not in the family of God, who did not know God yet. Among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pause right there on that you, just so you guys know that you in the Greek is plural. Christianity is not an individual Lone Ranger enterprise. You are not meant to be a Lone Ranger Christian. We need community. We need the church. We need things that put us around fellow believers so that we can be encouraged so that we can be prayed for, so that we can be corrected when necessary, so that we can then go out into the world and be image bearers of Jesus. The you is plural here. So it's better maybe if we said it this way, that to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in all y'all, because we're in Texas, all y'all, the hope of glory. You're not meant to carry all the hope of glory by yourself. I'm not meant to kind of be this lone ranger Christian who doesn't really need the community of God, who really just prefers to be by myself. That's not an option in the Christian life. We need community to make this happen. And here's why. Here's why. Because there's a call that's about to happen that if you try to put it all on yourself, you will fail miserably. And here's the call. Verse 28, Paul says that Jesus, this God that we, that we serve, he is the one we proclaim. So we're supposed to proclaim. And then it says we're supposed to admonish and teach. That's now three things that you're supposed to do by yourself if you're trying to be a Lone Ranger, which I don't have time for all three of those. And also we're supposed to be doing this with all wisdom. I know that by myself, I don't have all the wisdom. 
so that we may present everyone. Do you want to try to present everyone by yourself? I don't. Present everyone fully mature in Christ. We need the body of Christ working together to do this. This is not something that you are called to carry by yourself. This is not something that I am called to carry by myself. This word admonish here in verse 28, it means, it it carries this idea in the Greek of setting the mind in proper order. Now that should ring a bell for us. If you go all the way back to the thing we talked about at the very beginning, that we need to have our minds changed. The way we think about the world, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about others and God and everything needs to be changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we are then bearing Christ out into the world, according to verse 28, it says we are proclaiming Christ. We're also admonishing. That's not a word you use this week. I guarantee you, but it means to set the mind right. So now that we are the people who have had our mindset right, we are called to help others see correctly. We're called to bear the good news out into the world so that other people can have their minds changed and therefore their hearts and their actions changed by the power of the Spirit. This all comes full circle. What has been done to you, you are now called to go help and do for others. And you're not doing it by yourself. I'm not doing it by myself. We're supposed to admonish others and set their minds in proper order so that they can see Jesus more clearly just as we have. And hopefully at the end of the day, we're all becoming more and more shaped into his image. That's the goal. The goal is not so that we stop suffering. The goal is not so that we can have the right answers to everything. The goal is not so that we can feel some type of way of better about ourselves because we go to church, which you should, you should go to church. But it shouldn't be something you just check off to make yourself feel better. It should be the place that you go to learn how to do this with other people to teach and admonish and encourage and to help the world have its mind changed and reoriented towards the things of God. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God who cares about us enough to want to help us change our minds and therefore our actions and our hearts. God, we believe that you're the only one that can do that. You're the only one that can effectively change how we process and think about you. So God, we desire to be willing to let that happen in us continually because we don't, we don't stop learning and growing. And God, would you also help us do that for others around us? God, we love you and we trust you. God, thank you for this beautiful congregation. It's always such an honor to be with them. Holy Spirit, would you continue to remind us of the truths that we've heard this morning throughout our week? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.